Good morning. Well, after that worship, I don't think I really need to do much or say much today. Gosh, uh, that was great. So let's give the worship team a little a little hand this morning. Man, it's got me pumped up. I don't know about you guys. Um, so I'm really, really honored to get the opportunity to kick off a new series. It's a little bit daunting, um, but just to reassure you, it is a new series. So if you don't like what happens today, there'll be more uh, from somebody else later. So uh, I always like to give a disclaimer when I speak. You can take the professor out of the classroom, but you can't take the classroom out of the professor. So with, without further ado, we'll get to it. Uh, fair warning, there'll be some graphs today. I apologize. Um, so uh, if you guys will just... Um, I kick it a little bit old school. I know it's going to feel a little like standy CD, but if you guys will stand with me, I'm going to read God's Word. Um, this is from the New American Standard Bible. Um, our first verse, verse will be in Luke, and then we'll, we'll transition over to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as also John also taught his disciples. We'll transition now to Matthew chapter 5, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power, or sorry, the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that you have secured your word into our hands and made it available to us, Lord, so that you can teach us how to pray. God, I pray that you would get away motivations, any abnormal motivations that we might have for being here today, God, so that we can just hear from you, hear directly from heaven, straight to our hearts and our souls this morning. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So, why in the world are we doing a teaching series on prayer? It's, it's self-explanatory and optional, right? I mean, there's, it's just there when I need it. I think that's kind of how we live our life sometimes. That's how I live my life sometimes. But I want to, you guys to see some, some data from a study done by Crossway. And Crossway included 14,000 people in the study. So it's big. You can kind of take it to bank uh, what, what kinds of, of statistics we're looking at here. Um, I've got an image. Can you guys see the image on the screens there that says 
uh, daily prayer. It says, how many minutes per day do you spend in prayer? And on this graph, the white bar is pastors. The orange bars are lay people, so people who are not pastors. And as you can see, um, there's some variability there. I'm really thankful that about, I don't know, 11, 12% of pastors pray uh, more than 60 minutes a day. That makes me feel pretty good. Um, But you can only imagine that uh, if if pastors are struggling to find prayer time, uh, lay people like myself and, and like others who are not pastors probably are also really, really, really struggling. Um, one, one data point that I saw as I was researching this topic of prayer, and, and I do make the assumption when I present these that, that the amount of time we spend in prayer means something. Um, You can spend a little time in prayer and it mean a lot. Um, You can spend a lot of time in prayer and as the scriptures tell us, it not mean a lot. So, but just as a a data point here, time is what we're looking at. Um, But when you break down generations, I'm trying to see if you guys can see. Yeah, so uh, generation X, Y, and Z, Y are the millennials. That's where I fall. Uh, I'm glad to know that it's generation Y because I'm always like, why am I grouped with these people? Uh, (laughs) um, uh, They're also called the uh, tech natives. So typically if they're praying, they're probably praying for their iPhone battery to stay charged. Um, Been there. Uh, So as you can see, it seems like that with age, uh, the amount of time spent in prayer increases. Uh, I don't know if that has to do with uh, the decline of health. It could, uh, as we age, maybe we need prayer more, but I would argue, and I think Jesus would argue too, that we probably need prayer equally throughout our lifespan, maybe in different ways. So we'll go back to scripture there. I'll save you the graphs and mathing in public here. Uh, so the statistics are pretty, pretty loud there that, uh, we could probably use a little more time in prayer. Um, but scripturally, why do we need a series in prayer? Why is prayer something that we need to gravitate toward, and why is it important to us? Um, our first scripture this morning was from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it is literally the only specific thing that disciples of Jesus asked for specific, formal teaching on. They didn't ask for teaching on fasting or casting out demons or on study or how to study, not on eschatology or how the world might or might not end or not on solitude or silence. They didn't ask for teaching on how to be uh, a confessional body or, or how to perform miracles or heal. They asked specifically for teaching on prayer, and I think that's significant. That is one of the reasons why we are having a study and teaching series on prayer. It's because it's the only thing that disciples of Jesus specifically ask for. And as people who are pursuing to be disciples of Jesus, I think that's why we're doing this this time of year. Um, they, they didn't request this, and the disciples didn't. It wasn't requesting this out of naivete or, or that they didn't know how to pray. As young Jewish individuals, they would have at least known three specific prayers. They would have prayed the Shema Yisrael, which you can find in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
They would also have prayed a Jewish prayer called the Kaddish. And it sounds a lot like what you heard in the Lord's Prayer. The Kaddish is exalted and sanctified be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom and may his salvation blossom and his anointed be near during your lifetime and during your days and during the lifetimes of all the house of Israel speedily and very soon and say amen. And they would have known 18 blessings called the Amidah. And and so it wasn't that the disciples were coming from a place of ignorance in prayer that they were asking to be taught. They knew how to pray, but they didn't know how to pray like Jesus prayed. In, In chapter Luke chapter 11, verse 1, we see that Jesus has been to pray, but the disciples were totally creeping him. Right? He went away to a place, and near as soon as he was done praying, he was approached and was like, okay, you need to teach us how to do that. Because what they saw that what Jesus was doing and how he did it was different than how they did. That the effects from Jesus' prayer life were way different than the effects of their prayer life. Maybe it was just reciting words to them. But they could clearly see that when Jesus spent time with his father, when he went away and spent time with his father, the results were different. Another reason why we're teaching on prayer. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. It's one of Jesus' most emotionally charged displays that we see in Scripture. I would say probably the second most emotionally charged uh, display we see of Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, preview of coming attractions. Five weeks from now, we'll talk about that. Uh, But in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through uh, 17, um, this is where Jesus cleanses the temple. And, And scholars would argue that this moment was one of the defining moments that led Jesus to the cross. Uh, In verse 13, he loudly proclaims and declares the word spoken in Isaiah. He's citing Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11 from the Old Testament. And he says that his house shall be called a house of prayer and that you, those buying and selling in the temple that he was addressing, make it a den of robbers. This is why we're doing a series on prayer Because we at Foundation Church hope that if Jesus came to visit one Sunday, that he would find that our church, our gathering, the doors of our souls would be a house of prayer and not a den of robbers. By neglecting prayer or being desensitized to prayer or being apathetic toward prayer, we are being robbed and or robbing others of the depths of the intimacy with the Father. As we move through the prayer series, there is no rule to prayer except do it. Um, But there are, are three things that I think we can keep in mind, three attitudes that we can keep in mind to help grow our prayer lives collectively. The three, the three, Rules, I would say, and if you're a note taker, I think these are three good notes to remember. You don't have to take notes on all I say. If you remember nothing from today, I would, I would remind you to, and I'm borrowing this from a pastor, a British pastor named Pete Gregg, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. The biblical grounds for keeping it simple. I encourage you, in your spare time, YouTube 
the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, which is the original language that it was delivered in. In Aramaic, the Lord's Prayer is a rhyme. And it's beautiful, and it's eloquently spoken. But Jesus gave this to his disciples simply. It didn't take a rocket scientist, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't relegated to a caveman. Uh, it, everywhere, everybody, and everyone in between uh, could be able to pray and have some form of prayer life with the Lord's Prayer. Much like our rhyming prayers like, uh, now lay me down to sleep, you know the rest, or um, any, any Big Bang Theory fans in here? Always loved it when Sheldon's mom would show up and really um, try and inspire his prayer life. And there was this one time they sat down for, at a meal to eat, and she says, oh, no, Shelly. Oh, no, Shelly. In Texas, we bless our food. We're not like those heathens in California. <laughs> you hold up, Shelly. And then she starts, and he knows how to re- respond. He, she says, by his hand we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Please know that we are truly grateful for every cup and every plateful. Uh, so, uh, you know, so the rhyming scheme, even Sheldon, who's a literal rocket scientist, he remembers that. It stuck with him. So even though he might have gotten away from his prayer life, he sits down to dinner with his mom from Texas who prepared him something. He knows how to pray. I would say keep it real. Prayer is central to the Christian life, such that there is an entire book in the middle of our Bible that exists to help us know what real prayer looks like. So Psalms is a book of raw, real prayers from a king. David, considered a man after God's own heart. And and some of the things that he prays, I'm kind of like, whoa, that doesn't really line with Jesus' teaching. Like, for example, um, Psalm 143, verse 12, uh, David prays, And in your loving kindness, the irony, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Seems a little ironic and doesn't kind of follow the theme of uh, Jesus' bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, turn the other cheek mentality. But he's being raw and real. And a lot of times people um, feel that their motives going into prayer almost become a barrier. So they'll, they'll think, and I, I, it doesn't seem like David had much of a problem with his motivations. He was pretty clear and pretty real about it. But I think oftentimes people don't pray because they're like, man, I don't want to pray, bless my enemies and those kinds of things. But there's scripture that tells us, <clears throat> Romans eight twenty six through 27, the Holy Spirit will, will help our motives. And, of course, the disciples wouldn't have had that. They wouldn't have had necessarily Romans to kind of prepare for prayer. Uh, But we do not know how to pray as we should, which is a a very, very beautiful moment. I want you to hold on to that. We don't know how to pray as we should, period. Um, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So our motives don't interfere with our prayer life. The Holy Spirit will take care of that if you invite Him to. So I would say start where you are 
not where you should be, as we do not know how to pray as we should. It's irrational to think that you can go from praying zero minutes a day and stumbling through it to 30 minutes to an hour a day expertly without any intermediate or basic starting point. Even one minute a day with Jesus is better than zero minutes per day. Start small and gradually work your way up. Keep it up. I've already said this. The only true rule for prayer is to do it. Ronald Rollheiser says this, Saints and spiritual writers throughout the ages have always said that there is only one non-negotiable rule for prayer. Show up and show up regularly. The ups and downs of our minds and hearts are of secondary importance. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul dictates, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul also goes on in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have to grow and cultivate an attitude of prayer. Paul's not indicating here that we close our eyes and keep our hands together in front of us all day, as that could probably make driving and walking kind of a cumbersome thing, maybe a bit precarious. Uh, But don't get discouraged if you have a day that you forget to pray or a day that prayer just kind of seems humdrum or a a day you don't feel like praying. Uh, Every time you have one of those moments, and I'll quote a pastor that I really, really think highly of from New York, Uh, Rich Viotas, he says, every time those moments that we're in prayer and distracted or in prayer and fall asleep, any of those people in here? I'm raising my hand because I'm one of those people. Uh, It's okay. The peace of God has overcome you. It's okay (laughs) to fall asleep. You're in good hands uh, as long as you're not driving, right? (laughs) Uh, but, But every time you have one of those moments where you're in prayer, you're in communion, you're in conversation with God, you have an opportunity to come back to Him. And those are the moments he specializes in. The coming back, the reconciliation, the coming back to him moments. All right, anybody here? Take a breather. That was heavy. Okay, all right, we're good. Uh, Anybody feeling like a prayer expert yet? I can't raise my hand because I'll never be there. All right, so prayer at its root is a relationship. It's relational. It's communication within a relationship. A relationship with someone who loves deeply, and we choose whether the love with which we are embellished is reciprocated with our prayer. So why don't we pray? One more slide. It's not a terribly difficult graph, uh, but one more slide here. So some barriers to prayer. Crossway uh, had four Four, four groupings of, of biggest barriers to prayer. And I would argue with them a little bit. I feel like busyness is kind of under, under the umbrella of distraction. But if you take that into account, if distraction and busyness are our, our largest impediment to prayer, that means that, gosh, 70, 72% of, um, of what are the biggest distractors are distraction and busyness. And then a large majority of people are just kind of indifferent about prayer. And maybe you find yourself there. And that's okay. Welcome to Foundation. We're going to work on that (laughs) together. Uh, And then 
Some people are at a loss for words, but how comforting is that scripture from Romans chapter 8 if you are at a loss for words? If you're at a loss for words, you don't need them. The Holy Spirit's got your back. Maybe, maybe it's the illusion of not having enough time. Maybe it is that we're too distracted or we don't know where to start or we don't know what to say. Holy Spirit's got you. Maybe it's fear of being naive, a fear of silence. A lot of people are really, really uncomfortable in silence, and silence is where prayer is bathed and nourished. It doesn't have to be silent to pray, but man, that's where prayer can really, really root in. Maybe some of us feel that prayer is for spiritual elites, people that we think are more spiritual than we are, or feel that it's just not for me, it's for someone else to do, like a pastor. It's a pastor's job to pray, not mine, I'm not a pastor. Or maybe maybe for some people, prayer just seems too mystical and hokey. Or maybe we haven't found it effective, so we stopped. Or it doesn't ease our anxieties, as Paul would suggest in Philippians. Or maybe it's just too, too overwhelming to approach. It seems too complex. We are complexifying people. We take things that are intended to be simple, and we complexify them. Maybe we need to reel it back a little bit. Um, maybe, uh, again, maybe, maybe we're just, we just find prayer boring. St. John of the Cross uh, said that uh, what eventually makes us stop praying is simple, uh, boredom, tiredness, and lack of energy. Maybe you're just tired. Reminds me of that song from Blazing Saddles. I'm tired, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe that's why we're not, not praying. We're just too tired to pray. Um, and again, with the whole too busy, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, maybe we're just too busy not to pray. If you're, Henry Nowen said, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Uh, he can get by with that. I didn't say it. Blame Henry now. And <laughs> but, but maybe we could all reel, reel back a little bit. Um, any Jeopardy fans in the house? Yes. Yes. I've got some comrades in the room. I'm not alone. Uh, on, on June 13th, there was an episode. <clears throat> and uh, the category was dadgetives. And the question for $200 was this. The, the clue was this. Uh, Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father who art in heaven, this be thy name. And I bet every one of you guys would beep in and get $200. And if you were on this episode, you would have gotten $200 because you would have known that the answer was hallowed or Mayim Bialik, another Big Bang Theory reference in this sermon. My goodness. Uh, she said hallowed. Uh, so everybody in this room pretty much would have probably gotten that $200 question, but not a single contestant that was on that night buzzed in to get that question. They didn't even try to miss it. It was silence, an awkward silence. And I'm sitting there like hitting my home buzzer, you know, kicking the floor like, I know this one, I know this one, I know this one. Anybody here, you know, you got that? Uh, my wife has to calm me down sometimes. She's like, you're not on the show, just hush. Um, but uh, it was amazing to me because questions get missed on Jeopardy all the time. And, and they get missed and things are silent. They don't get airtime on anywhere. This question was missed, and it got airtime on CNN, Fox, the New York Post, NBC, and all kinds of local news shows. And, and all these news uh, companies become the great Pharisaic theologians just criticizing these contestants for missing the question. Social media was an uproar. Uh, as I scrolled, here I am, millennial. <laughs> as I scrolled uh, on my smart device, I would see um, there was a comment even by an atheist, a professed atheist on, on the comment section there. And uh, he said, um, 
uh, I'm an atheist, and even I knew the answer to that question. Um, as I was preparing and praying over this upcoming series, this this plopped in my lap, and um, I know nothing about the contestants that were on there. There's no way to get more information about them. One appeared to be uh, in his 50s to 60s range, so maybe a, a baby boomer. Uh, one in her 40s, uh, 30s to 40s, so maybe a Gen Y, maybe Gen X, maybe uh, was present there. But we can only speculate why they didn't know the answer. We could assume that living in post-Christian culture, um, they were just unfamiliar with the Lord's Prayer. Um, statistics would say most everybody is familiar with it, though. Um, or, or perhaps it's just that there's nothing really hallowed or sacred in our culture anymore. Uh, maybe even even in secular and Christian circles, maybe maybe we've even forgotten the weight of the word hallowed in the church. Perhaps we just collectively don't interact with and neglect the hallowed one, the only hallowed thing in existence. And the only way we do that is through prayer. So the likelihood that we're unfamiliar with a prayer in this room is pretty low. And if you were before you came in, you've been familiarized with it already today. Um, but perhaps maybe in the church we're just a little too familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe for me, my story is I was a Sunday school kid. I just memorized the Lord's Prayer to get a star on a poster board uh, and recited it. And it was kind of like a recite it and move on. It wasn't its intended purpose to be a platform through which our prayer life springs off of. I would ask, is familiarity a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, to many in relationships, the adage goes, familiarity breeds contempt. That's pretty harsh language, huh? Uh, uh, When we get too familiar with something, we begin to dislike it or ignore it, but it's not typically the person we've been in a familiar relationship with that we dislike, but how we're treated by that person over time or neglected by, by that person over time. It's not the familiarity that's the problem, but the brokenness of the human condition. In the animal world, familiarity is deemed the simplest and weakest form of relationship, whereas most social bonds require high rates of proximity and affiliative interaction. Familiarity only requires basic visual, olfactory, tactile, or acoustic exposure to another animal to develop familiarity. Little to no social interaction is required for familiarity. Is that what God called us to Little to no social interaction. However, a certain level of familiarity is necessary to ground us and provide us footing upon which to gain traction for any endeavor. And individuals uh, who I deal with on a regular basis who suffer amnesia or dementias or those kinds of things, um, they gradually lose familiarity and become unfamiliar with the most basic things that they were once fond of and were accustomed to. And the treatment is called reorientation strategy to re-familiarize them with their formerly familiar environment. There's a certain level to which familiarity provides us with the comfort level that is necessary for the deeper facets of life. Familiarity provides the basic structure to build upon. We don't need to unfamiliarize ourselves with prayer or forget prayers that we know, but rather we need to re-familiarize ourselves with prayers, revive our interaction with the prayers we've been taught and that we know so that we can really tap into the depths of unfathomable potential that they have to affect us and our world for His kingdom. 
Prayer beckons interaction. Prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. It's not surface level, it can't stop at familiarity, but invites us and beckons us deeper into an interaction with the Holy One. Liturgical prayers or prayers that have been written by someone else that we recite. Simple prayers that we know by memory uh, can really, really be the basis for which we ground a growing and glowing prayer life. The end goal of prayer is deepened relationship with the Father. The creator of the universe who loves us, likes us, and is always waiting our interaction. If the end goal is relationship, can we truly have a real lasting relationship without or with minimal contact and communication? To those in a marriage relationship, if we never have minimal communication with our spouse, do we truly have a marriage? The eternal groom wants regular contact with the bride, us, the church. Continued familiarity and stopping at familiarity leads leads to acclimation. Continued acclimation leads to desensitization and apathy and callousness. Our desensitization to prayer does not mean that prayer is ineffective or that God is absent. God is never absent. God is omnipresent throughout all time and space and knows no absence. It means that we are desensitized, but desensitization is never beyond repair. That's why we're doing a series on prayer. It's time for repair. In our scripture, you will find Jesus wanting us to keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. You'll find Jesus uh, taking what his disciples knew. So as you could hear, some of the prayers they already knew, the Kaddish, the great Shema, components of that were already built into the Lord's prayer. He took that, knowing they were familiar with it, and redeemed what they were familiar with, Using that as a springboard into the depths of prayer, into the depths of relationship with the Father, reorienting and refamiliarizing them with prayers they'd known since childhood in a way they'd never prayed them. Now, to truly capture Jesus' teaching on prayer, we need to break it down and re-examine and refamiliarize ourselves with its contents and basic components. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we may be uttering the single set of words spoken more often than any other in human history. Just chew on that for a minute. Per Timothy Keller, Lord's Prayer is the key to unlock all the riches of prayer. Start with our Father. We just concluded a series on the importance of community. So often we see prayer as a spiritual practice for introverts and for our own personal spiritual growth. Jesus eliminates this. Our. It's possessive and deeply personal, yes, but it's also communal and to be done in community. What God grows in us in our own personal spiritual time with Him is not solely for our own self-gratification, but how we can, He can grow us into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Not only is prayer a collective, communal, communitarian experience, it's possessive. God is our Father, not somebody else's, ours. And there's an element of ownership here that indicates a deep, non-surface level relationship. Now, disclaimer. Some people struggle with the Father word. As a father myself... I know the imperfections that come with that. But we're not talking to this imperfect earthly father. We're talking to a perfect, perfect, perfect father. And sometimes our experience in life is distorted when we come to the father by what we know as father or what we don't know as father. Um, So for those of you who've had a struggle with that, 
I want you to know that this is the quintessential perfect father who wills your good, will provide for you, and will protect you. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a confession of place, both physically and spiritually. Hallowed, to make holy, to set apart, sanctify, consecrate, dedicate, honor. This moment of adoration, child to parent. Recognizing the respect and honor he or she deserves. A love relationship as much as anything is prayer. We identify our place in the relationship to his place. As intimate as he is as father, he's still able to be close, yet set apart and holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This phrase is first and foremost the most basic form of what we've deemed to be intercession, praying for the needs of others. And we declare that this world needs his kingdom and needs his will. This is a moment of recognition, recognizing that God's kingdom is not here, but is to come and needs to come. God's will is not the only will that's done by default on this earth. It's recognizing that there are other wills at play on earth. The world, the flesh, the devil all have competing wills on this earth. Additionally, a point of asking God's will to be done here as in heaven. Petitioning God to break through the wills of this world, the flesh, the devil, and give us a taste of heaven on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the quintessential petition or praying for our needs, asking God. Praying is asking. And to ask, we have to admit that we are insufficient or that we don't know, we don't have the answers, we don't have all the resources. That's hard for folks. We pray for daily bread. It's a moment of faith. We don't have bread It's not praying for tomorrow's bread. We don't have the promise of tomorrow. It's praying for bread today and having the faith that God will provide for us today. This is the tricky part. This is what Jesus would say is the biggest barrier to prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus vamped on this in the scripture. After he was done teaching people to pray, what did he go back to? Forgiveness, reconciliation, because that's what he's the God of. There's one place in scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, that Jesus will tell you to leave worship. Leave worship. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, worshiping, And there, remember that your brother has something against you, not that you have something against your brother, which is even harder. If you know somebody has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come back and present your offering. Take that serious for a moment. Some people might ought not be at church today if we really, really take that to heart. Oh, it's tough. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the doxology, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.
I just want to recap just a little bit of the Lord's Prayer as we as we come to a close. In the Lord's Prayer, basic components, honoring, interceding, petitioning, forgiving, asking for protection, and then back to honor. The for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That's most likely added by the early church. Um, most all your texts will say that. Coming back to a place of honor. But I want us to end as Jesus ended his teaching on prayer. He vamped. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. A couple of invitations that I have today. Um, one of them is if you're not praying or you could use more prayer. My invitation is for simply you to pray. Um, don't worry about the complexities. Don't worry about feeling in, insufficient or don't worry about feeling uh, inadequate. Just simply that. Pray. But Jesus did vamp. I want you to do as much as you can to eliminate barriers to your prayer life. Um, at the end of service, we're going to have a prayer team here. First off, if you need personal forgiveness from sin that is separating you from the Father, or if you've not come into a relationship with Him, I first and foremost always invite you to that. And there will be people here who would love to pray with you. If you need to forgive someone or reconcile with someone, I invite you to spend some time in prayer over that. Um, you can come pray with a prayer team member. But I'm gonna, um, we're not going to turn the music back up and loud. We're going to leave the sanctuary open for just a little while, a few minutes, to create you the space. If you've got kids, I know that can be a distraction, so we've still got childcare. If you need some time to just pray, we're carving it out for you here. Uh, and I invite you to stay and just, if you just haven't spent time with God in a long time, give Him a minute or two after service. I just invite you to do that. As we um, move through the series, the next four Sundays, um, we're kind of presenting a model that will kind of help you structure prayer. Um, P-R-A-Y. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And so if you need that help today, we're giving you the moment to pause, give you the moment to give God glory and honor Him and rejoice. Ask whatever you need. The Holy Spirit's got your back and then yield to what he has for you. The best way to learn to pray is to do it. Not hear a sermon series on it. Listen to a podcast about it. Read a book about it. No. To learn to pray is simply to pray. To pray not as you should, but as you can. Will you guys stand with me? I'm going to close this in prayer um, and I'm going to simply read um, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. 
you're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Amen.